Well, let's continue our study in the book of 1 Peter this morning. 1 Peter, and we're still in the first chapter. Remember, this time in which Peter is writing this letter, Nero is on the throne, and he's already starting to ramp up for severe persecution of the church. And Paul, or Peter, Paul, Peter wrote this book, and Peter is reminding the Christians to put their faith and trust in God even during the hard times that they're ready to face. Last week, as we looked at verses 6 and 7, we, uh, Peter talked about how to handle trials of life. We all have trials in life, and handling them in a godly fashion will draw us closer to him. Now, this was not a complete sentence that we read. Um, this, the sentence actually starts in verse 6 and goes all the way down to verse 9. Okay? So we're going to finish this sentence today in verses 8 and 9, focusing on our Savior, Jesus Christ. I've entitled the message, Whom Ye Have Not Seen. The recipients of Peter's letter, many, like us, had not physically seen Jesus Christ. Yet, although we have not seen him, he is our all in all, and so there's going to be three truths we're going to look at. But let's go ahead and read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Peter writes, Whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So we're going to see in verse 8, it is to whom we love, and then we'll observe he is in whom we believe and rejoice, and then lastly, he is by whom we have salvation. And so this morning we're going to focus on Christ and understand a few of the wonderful benefits we have as Christians in Christ. Let us look to the Lord in prayer, please. Father, thank you for your love and goodness to us. Lord, I pray again now as we examine this passage, you'd speak to our hearts. Lord, your Holy Spirit have free reign to convict us and show us areas that might need to be changed or to help us, Lord, to continue in the areas that we are serving properly. And Lord, help us to have a greater love for our dear Savior. For it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Peter writes, whom, ha in, he, whom having not seen, ye love. We've not seen him, but we love him. You say, now how is that possible? Well, I think every mama here knows, as soon as she finds out she's with child, she already has a great love for that child, and she's never seen that child yet. We knew a couple years ago who their son, when he was born, lived only a few hours and was taken to heaven. But the heartbreak of the mom and dad, especially the mama during that time, was incredible. And, you, and, you know, nobody looked at her and said, well, how could you love a child you never really knew? Well, it was her child. You don't have to, you haven't had to have met Jesus Christ in order to love Jesus Christ. When we read the scriptures and understand who Jesus is and what he has done for us, folks, you and I can have a genuine love for Jesus Christ. Because, see, love is not, and I say this all the time, but we need to be reminded of it because Hollywood is bombarding us all the time. The Hollywood is something you fall into, and then you fall out of it, and then you fall back in, and you're always falling. But love is not this emotion that Hollywood tries to build up. It's funny. My wife, yes, 
still sometimes watches these Hallmark movies. Josh was over the other day, and one started, and in five minutes he goes, those two are going to be kissing at the end of the movie. Because they're all the same, right? And it's all about emotion and following your heart and all this nonsense, but that is not what love is. Now, recently, we've turned to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where God defines love, and I challenged each of you to go and write down what love is or does, or love is not or does not, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I hope you have taken that challenge, if you've never done that before, to see that all those things that love is and does are action, not feelings. All the things that love does not do, again, actions not feelings. Therefore, love is a choice of our will. I choose to love. Again, the word love here in the Greek language is the agape love. It's the highest form of love. It's that selfless, sacrificial love that loves for the benefit of the object being loved. The love that Christ demonstrated on the cross of Calvary for you and I, that while we were yet sinners, while you and I were the enemies of God, he willingly gave his life on the cross of Calvary and died for you and me. Folks, that is love. And that was a choice. It wasn't about how it made him feel. It was a choice because he knew you and I without redemption, will be condemned to hell for all eternity. We love him because he first loved us, John tells us in 1 John 4, 19. As I said, he loved us while we were yet sinners. Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 15, 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Isn't it amazing? Jesus calls us, friends. But as we love Christ, our love should increase. It's fun watching Josh and Hannah. They think they're in love, and I know they are. But it's fun watching them, and it's going to be exciting, you know, because just a few months, we'll be getting married, and they're going to realize in 20-some years, they only thought they loved each other right now if they continue to choose to love one another properly. When I look back, when Susan and I were dating, I thought I loved her. I didn't know what I was talking about. Because, boy, my love for her has deepened over the years. But, you know, I would imagine if the Lord gives us another 25 years together, I'll look back at these days and say, boy, I only thought I loved her then. At least I hope so. I hope that love will continue to deepen more and more. Because that's what God has designed, is it not? So should our love for Christ grow deeper every day. So Christian, let me ask you simply this. Are you more in love with Christ today than the day that you were born again? Because if not, then why not? You should be growing, your love for Christ should be growing every day. You know, there are some truths of God's word that just make me stop and sometimes cry, sometimes just want to shout hallelujah, but it just increases my love for Christ. I shared with you one of them, and I'll share it again today. When I started studying and, and realized that when Jesus Christ returns, he still has the scars, it says they're going to see him whom they have pierced. And that made me realize two things. Number one, He's still in a body, 
Number two, he still carries the scars of Calvary. I sat and wept. I thought, wow, what love he has for us. You know, we think he died, he was buried, he ascended back to heaven. But understand, when he took on the form of man, that was forever. Now, he's still God. He is the God-man, 100% God, 100% man. But understand, he is in a body forever. That was a permanent change. Doesn't that kind of blow your mind to such great love? That God became part of his creation and will forever be in that body because he loved you so much that he wanted to die for you. That's amazing love. No wonder Paul says that offering ourselves a living sacrifice is just reasonable service. So we think about to whom we love. And then in whom, he starts in the middle of verse, in whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So in whom we believe and in whom we rejoice. You see, faith is not by sight. Many times when I deal with intellectuals, well, show me, prove me, prove to me that God is real. Well, creation proclaims there is a creator. Well, show me God. You know, show me. They always want to see, see, see. If I, if I could see, I would believe, they say. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches we believe not seeing. Now, it's not a blind faith because the evidence points to God, does it not? The evidence points to Christ. When you look around this world, you know, as I said before, when I was in aviation medicine school, we studied a lot about the eyes, the ears, and things that are important for pilots, okay? And I remember after like a whole week, we we're studying the eye, this senior chief stands up front and he goes, isn't it amazing how that evolved over the years? You realize even with all the technology we have today, I mean, cameras have come a long way, have they not? But they still cannot do what the human eye does. And our vision is poor compared to some of the animals that God created. It's amazing God created these things. And yet, you know, nobody would take a camera and say, well, I think that that just evolved over millions of years. No, they would all look at you stupid and say, no, of course not. It had a designer. Well, then how can you take the human eyeball that does more than this camera and say, well, that just happened by random chance over millions of years? It's ridiculous. It's absolutely absurd. The fact that our bodies do what they do points to the fact that there is a creator who put it all together. Because, you know, there are things in our body you can't take out, otherwise the whole thing doesn't work. Right? It couldn't have happened by random chance. It couldn't have been, you know, oh, well, I think what I need to develop next time I come around is a, you know, it's, it's absurd. I showed you some of the videos by um, Job Martin, who was an atheist, who was challenged by some of his students when he taught at, I think it's Baylor University. Dr. Martin, we're going to give you a few creatures, and we want you to explain to us how these creatures evolved. And he said, in my arrogance, I thought, I'll show these students, no problem. I took the challenge. Five years later, he said he had to come to the conclusion there was no way these creatures evolved. They had to come 
from a designer. And now he uses those creatures to proclaim the truth of the creator. I'll just give you one for instance. The giraffe. We all know giraffe has a pretty long neck, right? Okay. Have you ever gotten up real fast and gotten lightheaded? Well, here's the problem with the giraffe. If he were to put his head down, all the blood coming from the heart, because it takes a lot of pressure to push up that neck, right? All the blood from his heart is now going to rush down the neck into his brain and literally explode the vessels in his brain. And then when he lifts his head back up, as if he's still alive, all the blood rushes out of his brain and he passes out because there's no blood left in his brain. So what God designed was this almost like a sponge-like organ on the back of his head that when he puts his head down, it pulls, it fills up with blood. All that extra pressure goes into this instead of his brain. And then it stays there while his head is down so that when he goes to put his head up, it compresses and keeps blood going to the brain until the heart gets it back up the neck again. But that just happened by random chance. You know, without that, the first time the giraffe put his head down to take a drink and his brains blew out, he must have been laying there saying, hmm, I think next time I'll have to develop something in my head to help this problem not happen again. Yeah. Because that's what evolution would have you believe. And it really is that absurd. Faith is by, not by sight. People say seeing is believing. God says believing is seeing. Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. How many have ever seen electricity? Well, actually, you've seen sparks, big sparks called lightning. But if I were to take you out to the panel box that is feeding this building right now, at best, you might hear a hum if something's going bad in there, a 60 hertz hum. But other than that, you're going to look at it, and there'll be nothing you can see. My grandfather, when he was teaching me electricity, he told me, he says, I want you to go pull that receptacle out of the wall right over there. Okay. So... I go and I pull the screws out and I grab the receptacle, pull it out from the wall, go to grab it side by side to twist it so I could take the screws off. And I did a huge dance across the floor. And my grandfather is laughing hysterically. You'd have to understand. It's, it's the core humor. You, if you met me, you, you would understand. Okay. He's laughing hysterically and he says, so I want you to learn a lesson today. Never trust anybody when they tell you the circuit's dead. It's your life. Always test it yourself. I remember that, believe it or not, still to this day, because it was a good way to teach me respect electricity. You will not see it, but I promise you the power of it is there. And if you mess up, you will find out very quickly. Another day I was in a hurry. This is when I worked at uh, the church up in Pennsylvania. I was in a hurry and it was a square D box, which to many of you means absolutely nothing, but Al's going to know exactly what I'm talking about. They had this weird idea of putting a neutral in front of your bus bars. And so when you're going to do something on the neutral and the panel's live, you had to put something to isolate the two in case your screwdriver slips. Well, I knew that, but I'm in a hurry and I'm not going to slip today. So after my screwdriver is welded to the panel box and they're calling me on the radio saying the entire school just went dark, I'm like, yeah, I'm on that. <laughs> Literally. 
<laughs> you can't see it, but it's there. And you better learn to respect it if you're ever going to work around it. Because it will bite you and bite you hard. Well, just because I can't see the electricity doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Just because I don't see God physically doesn't mean he doesn't exist. Now, folks, the object of our faith matters. Just because people believe something doesn't make it true. You do realize for years, science taught that the world was flat. Science taught that letting blood, letting out the bad blood, was good. Science taught that wearing a mask was going to help you. Yes, even that recent, folks. But the object of our faith matters. You see, there's not many ways to heaven. We're all not going to get to heaven just taking different paths. We don't get to heaven by our good works. We only get to heaven through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now remember, Peter is writing to a church that's ready to face persecution. And he says, You rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. You know, Christian's joy is not based on circumstances. Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Remember when the disciples were on the boat? Jesus had said to them to go to the other side. They're fearing but Jesus comes by, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, call me out. The Lord says, come. And now Peter is walking on water until he took his eyes off of Christ. And as soon as he took his eyes off Christ and looked at the storm, Peter started sinking. You see, folks, we can have joy in the storm if we keep our eyes on Christ. One of my favorite professors in college, Dr. Childs, when he lost his wife, and the two of them, by the way, were inseparable. They truly had become one. But he maintained such a joy, even during that great loss, he still was praising God. The world cannot understand our joy. The Bible calls it joy unspeakable, a delight inexpressible. So why then do we have so many Eeyore Christians? How you doing today? Well, okay, considering. Considering what? Considering that you're a child of God and you, your sins are forgiven and you have a home in heaven for all eternity? I'm just doing okay considering. All right, under the circumstances. Christians, should we not be characterized by joy? Now, are there things in this life that frustrate us and upset us? Look, I'm going to be honest with you. I am extremely frustrated with this situation that has caused us to have to go to Raleigh and talk to our legislators on Tuesday because these people ran, most, many of them ran on campaigns claiming to be pro-life, yet when the, when the time for action really comes, all of a sudden they're all wanting to back down, or many of them are wanting to back down. Do I find that frustrating? Yes, I do. Is that going to dictate my joy? No, it's not. Can I still rejoice in Christ? Yes, I can. But our joy will bring glory to Christ. It says, full of glory. You see, the world should be able to look at you and say, I don't get it. Everybody else seems to be falling apart. How can you still have such joy in your life? 
You know, that's an opportunity for you to say, let me tell you about the one who gives me joy. You see, people want something real and genuine. But Christian, if we're acting just like they do and in trials of life, what do we have that they really would want? So having joy unspeakable will bring glory to God. Why? Because I'll be praising him. I'll be living for him. I'll be speaking of him. And that brings glory to him. And now, verse 9, by whom we have our salvation, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. In verses 18 and 19, Peter tells us, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus paid for my salvation. You see, the wages of sin is death. My sin had to be paid for. But God himself made a way in sending his son, Jesus Christ, God becoming man, dying on the cross of Calvary, shedding his innocent blood because he had no sin, he paid my sin debt. It's the only acceptable payment for our sin. Ephesians 1.7, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. You see, all men, all mankind needs a Savior. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. What is God's mark? Perfection. Which one of us has reached perfection? None. So we can't get to heaven through our own merits because all of us have missed the mark. But praise God, Jesus Christ died as a substitute for us. And if we put our faith and trust in Him, He imputes His righteousness to our account and God forgives us, he cleanses us, he sees us as righteous as his own son, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So many today trying to find a way to God. But Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Could you imagine if we could earn our way to heaven? How terrible heaven would be? It really would be. I mean, think about men and how they boast of their greatness to now here on earth. But, oh, what did you do to get here? Oh, is that it? Well, let me tell you about me. Let me tell you what I did. You see, I'm not even sure why you're even here, because when you hear the list of what I did, that'd be a miserable place, wouldn't it? You know what one of the beauties of heaven is? None of us deserve to be there. We're all there by the grace of God. And he gets all the praise all the time, not us, because we realize, I don't deserve to be here. Amen? Salvation is a gift of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 6.23. Have you accepted that gift of eternal life? I trust you have. But if not, friend, good news today, Jesus Christ wants to save you. He wants to be your Savior. And his, his salvation is sufficient for all. Now, the problem is, while God sees me as righteous as Jesus Christ, he's imputed that righteousness to me. Until when Christ comes and raptures me out of here, I know practically I still have that old sinful nature hanging on. So, Christian, our duty now is 
being sanctified, the progressive sanctification, being more Christ-like day by day, having that renewing of our mind, having a passion for souls that God has, being a faithful witness to Him, growing more Christ-like day by day. And then someday, and hopefully someday soon, we'll hear that trumpet sound, and we'll all be snatched out of here. You know the greatest thing about that? Putting off this mortal body, putting off the old flesh, and putting on immortality, putting on the incorruptible, and truly standing there as righteous as Jesus Christ. Folks, it's going to take an eternity to praise Him for that, isn't it? But until then, as we are pilgrims and strangers in this world, let us continue to realize that our focus needs to be on Jesus Christ. He is our all in all. It is He whom we should love. It is in Him we believe and can have our rejoicing. It is by Him we have our salvation and the hope of eternal life. And again, when we use the term hope, we use it in a biblical fashion of not I wish so or think so, but it's my expectation of things yet to come. I rest assured in the hope of eternal life. I have it now, but I will fully understand it as I walk the streets of glory. Jesus Christ is our all in all, Christian. Just as in the time Peter is writing this letter, the church was going to face persecution. I don't know what our future holds, but I will say this, it doesn't really matter because our joy is still in Christ and not in this world. And if persecution should come, Christian, focus on him and not on the circumstances around. Let us close with a word of prayer.